Welcome to another episode of Silverbacks Valley, a podcast brought to you by Silverbacks Holdings. Today in the Valley with Ibrahim Sanya is a man best known across the continent as the godfather of African basketball. His effort to grow the game dates back to 1998, when as a college player in the NCAA, he created SEED, the Sports for Education and Economic Development Project, an NGO destined to support the education of young athletes across Africa. He then joined the NBA where he's held several leadership positions, first at the Dallas Mavericks organization as Director of Player Personnel and Vice President of International Affairs, then in 2010, as he led the opening of the NBA's first office in Johannesburg as Vice President and Managing Director of NBA Africa. A little over 10 years later, and after continuous effort in growing the game at the grassroots and corporate levels, he became the president of the Basketball Africa League, which launched in May 2021 despite a global pandemic. Now in its third season, the BAL, the Basketball Africa League, is the NBA's first league outside of North America in partnerships with FIBA. Today, the Valley welcomes Amadou Garofal. Disclaimer, Silverbacks Valley's host and the guests of this program may hold assets discussed in this episode. This podcast should not be taken as investment advice and is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Welcome to Silverbacks Valley. I'm your host today, and my name is Ibrahim Sanya. This episode is powered by AfroBowlers. AfroBowlers is the largest digital platform curating stories of African athletes, creating values in sports industry on and off the court. AfroBowlers collaborates frequently with major sports leagues and major sport personalities of African descent. It services an audience of over 100,000 of followers. We at Silverbacks Valley are big fans. It is a great pleasure to have you here, my good brother. It's curious to know how someone that was an aspiring doctor ended up being uh, the face of basketball in Africa. My passions have been consistent in terms of Africa. And I never had any doubts about what it represented and the place that it should have on the global stage. Um, and whatever gave me the opportunity to endeavor to add value and impact, that's what I was in, in search of, you know, and really without any um, crystal ball. So when I stumbled into basketball, um, and I started journeying to the sports to get me to America on a scholarship to play. Yes, my goal from an academic standpoint was I was interested in pursuing, you know, medicine because of Medicine Sans Frontières, an organization that always inspired me. But then I think very quickly I realized that in my journey in sport and in basketball and when I get to America, and it just opened my eyes and the endless possibility of the sports and basketball in particular for me could be an incredible tool uh, to really have impact because it allowed me to get my education, open so many doors, created connections and life-changing relationships 
former mentorship from Coach John Thompson at Georgetown. We mm. uh, just, you know, seeing how big sports was in universities, how it was used to, you know, market and, you know, uh, recruit students and the value it brought economically and how some schools, some towns were university towns. Chapel Hill was stores and Connecticut and these universities were the biggest employees uh, in those in those areas. Then I realized that, okay, what, why I was interested in medicine was not necessarily the practice of, you know, the profession, but really the service piece that I saw those doctors without borders and how, you know, applying and uh, using their craft to get marked and build communities. So um, I think for me then, I thought sports could offer that platform and even faster for me in, in Africa, but we had a, an abundance of, of talent and young growing population focusing on educating this with young people and using basketball as a conduit, I thought was something to explore. What is the thing that you at some point have struggled with? I think first, I think moving to America uh, without speaking barely a word of English. But it was great also because you realize that you, there's no time to waste here. You know, you gotta, you know, wear your hard hat, you know, because it's about, you know, you fend for yourself. And, and, you know, I think that kind of helped me really accelerate um, the transition. And then you're wondering, because the coach who gave me a full scholarship letter to come to school in the U.S. never seen me play. He just heard wow. I was six wow. foot eight and I could jump out of the building. <laughs> so you, you struggle with this, like, what if I'm not good enough? You know, and because you have the pride and you want to be you know, uh, one to earn your stripes, you know, and this guy basically <laughs> gave me everything and never saw me play. So you want to make sure that, you know, you are um, up to par, right? But that's part of also pioneering, going somewhere, doing something that, you know, really you've never done before. So how I overcome it is like, I always had confidence, you know, I mean, I think part of not diving in right away was just more about studying, you know, and then try to understand the, the environment. And, you know, then, then the rest is, you know, it, it, it was fine. So, you know, and then the other second part of the question, you were saying, even when we started, you know, MBA Africa, it was also years in the making because, you know, I knew that the opportunity was here in Africa to do something really special. I didn't think about it at the time, but I had the confidence and, and the, the belief that we're going to do something special. I didn't know in terms of even how, <laughs> but just the, your gut tells you and then, you know, you, you, you go with it. So it, just for me to, to say that if you really believe in something, just go for it. Tell us about SEED and what lesson do you want the kids of SEEDs to learn in basketball and beyond basketball? So... Seed, as I mentioned, is really an outgrowth of my story. Just uh, whatever the game of basketball had afforded me as an opportunity to move to the U.S. on on a scholarship, meeting a Peace Corps, you know, volunteer, Kevin Leinberger, who went back and talked to 
George Leftwich at the University of the District of Columbia, who sent me a full scholarship letter without ever seeing me play. Like I said, for me, was the first eye-opener on, on just the possibilities. Yes, the fact that me, I'm stumbling on this thing, like, or even Hakeem Olajuwon or Dikembe Mutombo, when you talk to them, their story is almost, you know, like they get into this by chance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because Hakeem tells the story that somebody, some American coach showing up in his school to introduce basketball and six months later, he's in Houston, you know, at yeah. uh, University of Houston, playing Sprague Dexter and all those guys, the five, five South Slammer Jammers, number one pick in 1994. Dikembe going to Georgetown on a pre-med scholarship, not on a basketball scholarship. Again, my modest story also, you know, opened my eyes. And then we said that, okay, there's something here that we want to replicate for as many African youth as possible. And ultimately, I thought that to better maximize the opportunity, we wanted to create a model that brings the system that holds student athletes that's why we played in seed, you know, and since in 2002, uh, young people identified given school scholarship to study, live, and go to school. And we have hundreds who went on and matriculate in big universities, a few that have made it to the NBA. Um, so that was the model. And obviously, we try to create, uh, to, to take that model in everything we do. It's basketball that we use, but for me, you can expand it to all other activities. It's about using sports as a tool to spur socioeconomic development because the realization was that for Africa to reach its potential, we had to focus on the youth, empowering them, giving them the tools, and sports was a conduit. Uh, talking about youth, if you were given a chance to speak to the 19th your old version of yourself, what would be two pieces of advice you would like to give to yourself? I think, number one, it all starts with self-belief. And also, look, to be honest, I had no idea what to expect. And it's the same, again, when you're pioneering into anything, you know, there may have been a couple of people from Senegal who've, been, you know, to the U.S. Uh, and on, on scholarship, but I didn't have any contacts with them or they were, I had no comparable Yes, or even people you could talk to. So that's why a 19-year-old today, we make sure they have all the, first of all, the basic training, this is why I see it, right? You know, they understand that the journey as a whole, right? Is, is really what you have to focus on making sure you pay attention to every step and take the learnings. You know, you have goals, right? And very ambitious goals. And then you base uh, your approach on, on experiences you might have seen elsewhere. So my, you know, the basic, the fundamentals are the same, right? If you have an open mind yes. and, and you're paying attention to the whole journey, this is where you see opportunities come from left field sometimes. So that I was in Lagos recently, met this uh, 
this young chef, uh, Michael, that Billy. Yeah, incredible, you know, incredible uh, guy. And then, you know, just tell you hear his story. I'm pretty sure the family and also growing up, uh, you know, you're doing cooking, you know, so. But now it's, a, you know, it's something cool. I want to be a chef, actually, you know. I want to speak. Uh, okay, okay. We're discovering some <laughs> some new traits. So we'll have you back on a podcast when that is launched. Now let's uh, step out for a second to jump into BAL. So we are going into the third season already since the launch. As you look back into the journey up to now with the various team, what are you the most proud about in terms of achievement? And what do you look forward to? I think really all the incredible energy and, and passion uh, that we were able to rally around, you know, the vision that allowed us to launch this need in the middle of the pandemic mm-hmm. in 2021 mm-hmm. in Kigali mm-hmm. with an extremely stringent, you know, Conditions. medical COVID protocol, mm-hmm. complete bubble, mm-hmm. uh, and having all the teams and everybody involved complies to mm. where we didn't have a single face in any player, you know, uh, an issue with COVID. So COVID was not part of the story at all, but yet we were able to create a, a global story, you know, where we play a full slate of games. Mm-hmm. This was broadcasted in 215 countries around the world, uh, you know, with a incredibly high quality. Yeah. So that's something that, you know, we always cherish just, you know, not just launching the league for the sake of launching it, but launching it in such a dire condition, but yet having a product that we know the world, the whole right. was watched and appreciated. And, you know, was looking forward to continue to watch. Coming back with second year and now going into more countries, you know, uh, to raise the bar and, and, and actually even topping what was done in year one. So that's, you know, those foundational two years, we are equally proud of. At the team where we to paint, you know, I'm talking about all the colleagues from across the NBA family and FIBA, now partner, and now having a full-fledged office here in Dakar, with pride, with incredibly passionate Africans from the diaspora. That's something that I cherish. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, really seeing the whole ecosystem and the industry we are going to build around basketball and the Basketball Africa League that is going to be the anchor of a very dynamic and robust sports business industry in Africa. Uh, we've also been seeing a lot of the investors, the biggest private equity investors in the globe, now becoming part of ownership groups. We all see minorities, women, and obviously uh, African, African-American being owners of teams like we are at Silverback, and, but a lot in the U.S. What uh, do you think needs to be done here in the African continent to permit that momentum. 
to keep on. We gotta continue to be consistent with our ambitions. Uh, we, from my standpoint in the Basketball Africa League, we have lofty goals, very big ambitions to turn this league into one of the best professional basketball leagues in the world. So, you know, continuing to build capacity across the environment, the ecosystem, and working with our partner FIBA to, you know, ensure that, you know, we have strongly organized national federations. Meetings. That's important. The game has to continue to, to grow from grassroots. You know, we focus our first decade at NBA Africa in making sure that the sport was accessible to boys and girls who want to play it. We recognize that our leadership position as being the number one professional basketball league in the world always behoove us to invest in growing the game, to grow in the, the fan base, making sure that we have a global league where our global fans can also cheer on teams that has people who look like them or come from where they are from. But now, creating this media allows us to have a sports and entertainment property that is played on prime time, that is of very high quality, Correct. global standards. This is why you have 215 countries broadcasting the game. And in the process, we are going to create this industry that is going to create jobs. We're going to influence and spur the creation of world-class infrastructures like the arena in Pigami and in Dakar and in many other countries that are, you know, pushing up to have the same type of infrastructure because the talent is here and has always been here. Now it's about building the infrastructure. And when I'm talking about infrastructure, yes, the physical infrastructure, you need the arenas, but also you need the broadcast capabilities. Mm. You need uh, people who are trained as sound engineers. Mm. Uh, you need people who are marketeers, who are broadcast analysts. But teaching the game, having coaches that can teach and develop young talent is going to remain fundamental. So focusing on the BAL doesn't mean we forget about our bread and butter, which is, you know, where we started from. NBA Africa is going to continue to have programs that will do that. And now we have established a complete pathway for a player to develop from grassroots to beneath. How about what would you recommend the sovereign, the governments? What do they need to do to make sure that that velocity is preserved? I think the role of government primarily should be just to create the enabling environment. I, I really believe that it's going to take a, a true partnership you know, between government and the private sector. Ultimately, this is has to be driven by the private sector. But government, especially in this early stage, you know, should have a vested interest in 
figuring out ways to create the infrastructure. But once you create the infrastructure, you got to have management structures that is going to ensure that these buildings don't become white elephants. And you have to create content, you know, in these, in these venues. And, you know, I think we start to see some developments that are very encouraging in that space. What they've done with Kigali Arena, now that's called Bank of Kigali Arena, having name and rights, having a management company that's running it, that's bringing all kinds of events there. Because, look, basketball is our game, but we are not saying build these arenas only for basketball. These arenas are multi-purpose destination. You can have concerts, and then you can... We want to see in Africa the biggest act in, in, in whatever industry to see Africa as a destination, right? If you think J. Cole, who played in our league. In yeah, our, that was amazing. You know, the first year to get J. Cole to come and play. And uh, our inaugural season, I had conversations with them. They talk about, yeah, a lot of these guys would love to come and tour in Africa, but they didn't have, you don't have the venues. There are only very few places you could go. Now, if you have Narina in Tamdar, in Abidjan, in Lagos, Accra, you know, obviously Joburg and Begali, you can string like mm-hmm. complete tour, right? So, and think about what it does to the tourism of, of these different countries. And think about the, like how our culture and creativity transcend, you know, borders. And then, you know, so this is something you want to happen, you know, in Africa, and we have to have the environment. The way we play the game in our leagues by taking our conference, our conference, let's say last year here in Dakar, and then taking our Nile conference in Cairo, you have 10 days playing 15 games, everything you can build around it. Our finals in Kigali, we saw all kinds of activities. Oh, yes. yes. Fashion shows, tech summits, innovation Yeah, music concerts, and all these things. That's what our league is going to, you know, really help create and energize. Fantastic. No, I couldn't be more thrilled that you're just uh, rising the level of excitement on my side. Excellent. My good brother, thank you. I can't thank you enough. It was, fun. It was really, really great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Silverbacks Valley. If you want to hear from people who are building dominant platforms from Africa to the rest of the world, you can follow Silverbacks Valley on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Anjami, and Audio Mac. Tune in.